Are pandemic pets at greater risk of preventable diseases? This week, we're going to talk about some of the concerns that we have about new pet parents during the pandemic, and are they actually getting the right preventive care? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And the current pandemic has had a lot of really wonderful benefits. If I can say that, that sounds weird. But one of those has been that people have opened their homes to more dogs and cats. They've fostered, adopted. We've emptied shelters out around the country. And that's wonderful news. On the other side of that, many of these newly minted pandemic pet parents may not be seeking veterinary care the way they traditionally would have. So this week, we want to talk about some of the interesting factors that may be influencing what we would consider preventable diseases and how we can reach those new pet parents and help them avoid some of these lifestyle diseases, if you can call it that. But before we get into all of that discussion, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, this conversation really kicked off because of a couple of experiences that you and I have had over the past several months. We've talked about them to each other multiple times. And today we said, you know what, we need to really share that with the Viewfinder family. And I'll kick it off with, with a story that I'd love to know if the viewfinders can relate to, if you've heard similar stories or if you've experienced them firsthand as I have. Uh, And the story goes like this. At the beginning of the pandemic, a good friend of mine who did not have a pet decided, you know, this would be a great time to be a foster for a dog, you know, because we're in lockdown and I'm going to share my home with a dog. I really want somebody to keep me company when I'm working from home and all that sort of stuff. Well, that began maybe in April and then by May, we're a full-on pet parent. Dog was adopted. It's a great, you know, pairing. They, they love each other. They're having great times. But then recently, a minor medical condition came up and he rang me up and he said, hey, hate to bug you about this, but I'd like some vet advice. So we started going through the case. And one of the first questions I asked Becky were, okay, is he on a heartworm and flea and tick preventive? What about his vaccines? Is he current? And the answers were no, no, no. What are you talking about? And Becky, One of the things that was really striking to me about this conversation was the fact that this person believed that his dog was somehow at less less risk of these types of infections because they were in quarantine. But the reality is he's going out walking two or three times a day. In fact, one his dog was was kept by his uh, neighbor for like almost a week while he had to do some business travel. Becky, are you hearing those kind of stories? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the scary part, right? Like the lack of understanding and the lack of education. And I think one of the scariest gaps is it's like, if they're not in front of us, we can't educate them. So how are we getting the word out if they're not in front of us to make sure this isn't happening? And what about this false sense of security? Because this person threw up the excuse of, look, I'm in quarantine, right? <laughs> like, sorry, but the mosquitoes that I'm talking to here, they're not recognizing the quarantine. They're biting the dogs and the cats in our area, just like everywhere else. So, I mean, you know, what? how can we how can we reach those people and actually explain to them that this is different? The quarantine we're talking about is different than like all these preventable diseases. You know, though, tell me uh, any technician and, and veterinarians, any veterinary staff member out there who hasn't he- heard a client say something like, you know, we live in a gated community. Uh, we live on the third floor. 
My dog doesn't go outside. The the fact that like, oh, I, I am immune because there's a different pandemic going on is like right. shock zero factor for me because they think gated communities are going to prevent them from diseases. So um and I always bring this up because when I'm doing my lectures on the road for, you know, BI and we're talking about things like this, you know, everyone laughs and and agrees and says, oh, yeah, I've heard that. But then I say, OK, like whose fault is it our clients think that living in a gated community protects them from these diseases? As long as we have clients who bring in poop for their heartworm check, we are, are have to do a self-check on education. Yeah. And I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, I really wanted to reach out to the foster group yes. that gave this guy this dog because somehow that gap was created there. Right. Because I, yeah. I, I didn't have a, a time. And it was really interesting because like he claimed that the dog had all of its vaccines, but yet he had no paperwork or if he did, he couldn't, you know, he didn't know where it was, but so, okay, let, let's just forget the vaccines for a second. I'm actually more concerned, especially this time of year. This was summertime when he has this dog. Yep. And now we're entering the fall about the preventives, especially heartworm preventives. And honestly, Becky, when I was listening to the case history that he was he was laying out, it really sounded like flea allergy dermatitis. That's what kind of was the whole point of, of me asking those questions. But regardless, let's get back into this. So, you know, here we are. We've got all these new pet parents. We've talked about this on the podcast before, Viewfinders. And you're probably going, yeah, we've heard this. It's, yeah, it's a problem. But, you know, what are we going to do about it? Well, I think that there are some things that we also need to be aware of that may even further accelerate this challenge. And Becky, you and I live on the East Coast of North Carolina. <laughs> what season is it? I don't know anymore. I mean, it depends <laughs> on the day. Like, it's hurricane season technically, right. um, if that is a season that is recognized. It is definitely. <laughs> so from June 1st to November 1st, every year we worry about this. And right yeah. now, as we are recording this, there are two storms in the Gulf. So, you know, obviously the people in Louisiana and coastal Texas are going to be affected. But Becky, just like we see with most of these hurricanes, especially around Louisiana and Alabama, a lot of those shelters get emptied out and those dogs are transported all over the country. And what are they usually carrying with them? Everything. I mean, they're coming from the South. We they've got everything. And we talk about this, too. Right. One tick can pass multiple tick-borne diseases at one time with one bite. So it's not like oh, we have to get five ticks for five tick-borne diseases. Right. That's right. not the thing. One mosquito can give heartworm disease to a dog. And so you're absolutely right. We've got these storms headed to Louisiana. This is not, I, I've, I've said this for years in the sense of that Katrina started the, to change the face of parasitology across our entire nation. So the, you know, what what happens for people who don't know is that they go in and they empty the shelters of shelter dogs, ship them all over the country into other shelters so that the shelters can be emptied for the emergency response so that people who need to shelter their dogs while they evacuate have a place to put them. So that's what happens. That's why they empty out. And they go all across the country, including the Pacific Northwest and, you know, where there's never been a bug or in, in the desert where there's never been a bug. And then they're introducing. And in we would love to think these are all 
really nice, clean rescues and, and they've all been bathed and they've all been vaccinated and they've all been updated, but they haven't. A lot of these are shelters in very poor communities that desperately need the space because of the evacuation situation. In fact, the nicer the shelter, the less likely they need right. the space. That's right. right. That's right. So we're taking these dogs who are, are stray dogs who, who don't ever show a history that we know of anything and moving them all over the country and and the, and the bugs and the diseases and everything that goes with them. I mean, obviously, I'm monologuing at this point, but it's it's because we really have to think about this in a different way. And to your point, Dr. Ernie, when we talk about the rescue and I was I didn't know really how much we, we were going to want to talk about that. Right. But like the placement situation is the problem here. The fact that these animals were put into a situation where uh, they don't have medical history proven and they the education did not come with the animal to make sure they were well taken care of is a huge irresponsibility on the shelter's part. Right. And and, and to be fair, Becky, they've had an influx in demand. So they've got skyrocketing, you know, people requesting dogs yes. and cats. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before. We've seen shelters do lotteries, you know, which we think is a terrible idea, quite Horrible frankly. Idea, yes. But regardless, so I think that they're overwhelmed. And this is one of those cases of, quote unquote, slipping through the cracks. And, and, you know, and obviously I'm now very worried about this dog, you know, later developing heartworm disease because, you know, again, we live in areas that are endemic with heartworm disease. So if you live in one of those areas where you think it's not around, maybe you're just getting lucky, but it's all over the United States. And I think it's only going to get worse as certainly as we've seen with climate change and population shifts as Becky is saying. But Becky, I think right now, a lot of people listening are going, okay, we get this. These, these poor shelters, they're dumping dogs out with fleas and ticks and heart disease. And we get that. But I only work with the highfalutin shelters and rescues and foster groups. But you told me recently a story, and we don't have to name the name, but actually there are some high profile rescues and shelters and foster groups that are also having these problems. Right. So when we were kind of brainstorming this idea and kind of talking about our experiences, I was talking to a client of mine who got a new kitten from a very high profile um, rescue turnover place ish thing, whatever they are. And um, long story short, the kitten had ringworm. The kitten, you know, had no records that came with it. And, and for whatever reason, she couldn't get a hold of them. It kind of gave her the runaround on getting a hold of them. And they even told her. So the, the problem here was that this kitten got placed in a house with five other cats. So if you have ringworm <laughs> in one house, cat, like, they all have it now. Horrible. And they're going to give it yeah. back and forth and back and forth. So her point was really like, I didn't care that the kitten had ringworm. I cared that I didn't know um, and that I didn't properly quarantine the kitten from my cats because of this, because I was under the assumption this cat had been quarantined. The kitten had been quarantined in the rescue. So there was that factor that it, it exposed her and her family and her fur family. The other thing was, is they didn't assume the cost of the medical care to get it taken care of, which was frustrating for her. And then they actually, when she contacted them, sort of tried to flip the narrative like, well, have have you had kids in the house? Have you had any other animals right. that she was it's around? It's your fault. You yeah, <laughs> they tried to blame her for it. And they assured her that she, they had never had ringworm in their facility. I've never and met one that did. That I said to myself, like, if you have kitten, if you have more than 100 kittens in a span of like however many years you have ringworm at least 10 times, like there's no way there's a never attached to that. It's kittens. It's ringworm. It happens. So 
you know, um, the point being here was just that it, it, it she was really disappointed and also a kind of um, a little bit threatened by this high profile organization ish person ish thing to not talk about what happened and where the cat came from with this situation and yada yada. So um, and, and she was like, I don't care what you think. I'm doing what I need to do. But had actually found out from other people in this rescue, these types of things had happened to them and they hadn't really talked about it because they'd been threatened <laughs> by the right, organization. Right. So um, I, I found that kind of terrifying, really thinking it doesn't feel safe anywhere then, does it? Right. And viewfinders, you've probably, you might agree, you've probably had the same experience I have. I've never met a dog breeder or a cat breeder that's ever had any problem, right? I mean, it's like, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never had a dog that had hip dysplasia. It's like, right. you breed German Shepherds or Labs. Oh, <laughs> right. Nope, nope. Never, ever, 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 ever. <laughs> you know, so the, this stuff gets, so again, viewfinders, we're trying to give solutions and this is where outreach becomes really important. And I know we've sound like a broken COVID record, but the reality is this is a great opportunity to use your social media to reach people, personal, professional, whatever, to actually be saying, hey, did you adopt a dog or a cat during the pandemic? Here's a quick checklist. I mean, this isn't hard to do, but we've got to make sure that we are just blasting social media and in all forms of media, quite frankly, to make sure that these young pet parents who are naive and they're well-intentioned, but they just, again, nobody's really helping them out. And I think there's this false sense of security viewfinders that says, I'm in quarantine, therefore, you know, I'm not at great risk. Well, so first of all, right. I, but but what you told me about this situation was with more questioning either these people. OK, I'm in quarantine, but I live in an apartment complex. So I'm out walking my dog where other people and pets are. I'm going to the dog park or I'm, you know, um, we're out and about downtown because we can be outside. I mean, it's just like or even visiting with the neighbors. I mean, I told you about how we have fence aggression in my house to the point where if right. their dog had something that could be transmitted with an aerosol, <laughs> my dogs are getting it because they are nose to nose snorting at each other through the fences. So there really is no real immunity to all of those things. And then the idea that like, oh, I'm in quarantine, so I'm not worried. What about leptospirosis and, right. and those wild animals in the backyard that could care less it's quarantine? And you're probably even maybe more exposed to them. I mean, it's the lack of education. But again, how are we responsible in the veterinary industry for, for for educating people who aren't in front of us? So I don't feel like there's anything a veterinarian in this space could have done they to get to these clients ahead of time. And to me, that's the real frustrating, like, how do we fix this part? Right. And this is where we have to rely on large corporations, organizations. You know, we have to band together. And, and I will say, if you're listening today and you're a small independent practice, again, just use your Instagram, use your Facebook, use your whatever that you feel comfortable posting on. And just, you know, again, these pandemic checklists, I mean, just something we need to somehow get this message out there. And, you know, I understand that a lot of pet parents are going to ignore this stuff and they're going to continue to make excuses. Right. That's what we've been confronting our entire history of veterinary medicine. Having said that, it still doesn't absolve us from that responsibility. So let's continue to work together to promote these messages. And, and in fact, in fact, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast is just to somehow spark and seed and nudge the profession to do a little more towards this. You know, and I think it's I, I hate to be like a broken record about it, but I do think I I feel like this is where we can really lean into social media. This is yeah, where we can yeah. really get great information out there and remind people to 
um, share, 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 share this content because yes, you might know it because you're a fantastic pet owner, but the 800 people in your network probably don't all know it. And we can really get some information out there this way. All right. And so another part of the solution as we've sort of identified already is our interface with rescues, shelters, and foster community. And I will say, as we've talked about multiple times on the podcast, many veterinarians are reticent. They are hesitant to actually reach out to their local shelter for a variety of reasons. I get it because quite frankly, most of you are afraid that if you make that phone call, they're going to ask you for stuff for free and they may. (laughs) But at the end of the day, we are still trying to accomplish the same thing. That is to prevent disease, place animals and extend longevity and well-being. So, you know, how can I work with my local communities? I will tell you this, Becky, after this whole thing started playing out, I have a good friend who is with one of the National Humane Societies. We'll leave it at that. And I said, hey, are you guys raising awareness at the local level? Like, are you guys actually like sending out broadcasting, sending emails, whatever, to your local shelters and 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 saying, hey, be sure you do these checklists? And she said, you know, we did a little bit at the beginning, but probably not as formal as it needs to be. So right there, hopefully that'll kick off some change internally with this national organization. So if you have those contacts, those networks, local or not, I know that we've been working with one of our local, uh, the one that I sit on a board with here in Brunswick County, and we've I, we've started working together to make this checklist for fostering, you know, because we'd like for you to at least have a piece of paper you know, in your hand to say, here are the things you need to do over the next week, the next two weeks, the next month, and within three months. You know, those are simple things that we can, you know, I think deploy and they will make some change. Had my friend, this original case who's calling me, you know, with this dog problem, what if he had gone home with a simple checklist or better yet, if it was texted to him, you know, later and reminded yeah. him on his calendar? I mean, those kind of things. Would he have acted? I don't know. He did make a lot of excuses about, well, my vet, you know, uh, I'm sorry, the the vet closest to me has been closed. Well, they're not closed anymore. But, you know, my point is we just have not, I don't think we're doing a good job. So vets, viewfinders, let's reach out to our foster community. We, We talk about directly interfacing with pet parents, but I think we can, I don't know, Becky, I think we can have more local and broader influence with our shelters and foster community, you know, than we could like just trying to put a post on social media sometimes. Well, again, I think it always comes down to, yes. I I mean, I think that social media works great for our client outreach and for our client education. Um, And I guess I kind of want to go back and unpack that, that situation you talked a little bit about with the foster and the adoption community, because they are facing unprecedented times as well. They did need to get shelters emptied as quickly as possible so they could get people out as quickly as possible. So we're not picking on any one situation or like the way that this went down because of COVID. But I also think that we could agree that it is an an unprecedented situation outside of COVID to have an animal go home without the proper education on how to take care of it long-term or what its its needs are going to be. So um, without blaming... Um, I, again, I think that, yeah, we need to educate the clients and then you're right. We need to build these relationships, but we've been saying this also forever. Like we, 
really have to work on building our community presence and building our um, our relationships with pet sitters, with pet dog walkers, with groomers. Like we as the veterinary community need to be the center of this hub so that we are the go-to and the trust relationship and the education and the knowledge relationship. We're not here to protect knowledge. We're here to direct reliable resources and education. And we need to be trusted by that. And we really, truly need to embrace that that's our job and get in front of this for animals' sake, right, right. whether they're in front of us or not. Right, absolutely. And and so now I want to pivot it slightly. Let's say you're in a situation like Becky and I have recently been in where there's a pet parent, new or, or experienced, who has encountered a problem. And quite frankly, it's because they just didn't do something, right? They didn't follow through with the vaccines. Now the dog has, you know, bordetolosis. They didn't follow through with the preventives. Now it has fleece ticks or even worse, intestinal parasites and heartworm disease. Okay, so whatever that situation is. Viewfinders, when they come into your clinic, however they get there, however you're doing practice right now, I don't want you to blame that person, right? It's really important that, especially these new pet parents, these pandemic pet parents, that we don't somehow go, well, you're a bad pet parent, right? Because Becky, that could turn them off for a generation. And that's one of the things, I know we've talked about this on the podcast multiple times, but viewfinders, it's really important for us not to blame that person, but to, again, focus on the solution. And so Becky, any advice maybe for those technicians and managers and vets out there that are listening when that client comes in, I don't have any medical records. What heartworm preventive? No, nobody told me about that. I've been in a quarantine. Yeah. Um, my first bit of advice is uh, watch your face because yeah. my face does things before my mouth does. And um, <laughs> while I can sometimes keep my mouth under control, my face does its own thing. So, right. and, and that's nonverbal communication. This is one of those things that I stress we talk about, but you really have to role play this because you're right. You can frown. You can squint your eyes. You know, of course, your jaw can hit the floor and you have to pick it up. But regardless, what Becky said there is so important because when this person's like, what heartworm disease? My dog, he lives in a gated community. You can't then give it away with your nonverbal, right? Because that's already going to set the tone for the conversation to go horribly wrong. Right, exactly. It, 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 then they feel judged. They're shutting yeah. down. Yeah. And it's so easy to do. In fact, when I when I do these lectures, a lot of times I'll tell people the experience of my very first dog. And, and in brevity, it was that um, I was a waitress at the time and I would leave a styrofoam container next to the garbage so that anybody could put anything that looked my dog might enjoy it into the styrofoam instead of the garbage. So on a daily basis, I would bring him home legitimately like pancakes, sausage, um, corned beef, you name it, like diner food, right? Wow. Yeah. I'm 17. Like, I don't know. I'm thinking this dog's living his best life, right? Somehow he did not get pancreatitis and die. But my point is when I tell this story, just like you, you were like, wow, like that's right. horrible. That was so judgmental. I'm, I'm, when right. I tell this in a group of technicians, I'm like, look at your faces. You're judging me. I didn't know. I was 17. I really thought I was giving this dog his best life. And it just, to me, is an example of how like we've all really screwed the pooch yeah. on one thing or another um, because we don't know any better. And um we can't judge because sometimes the, the kind of crappy things people do are either just truly a lack of knowing, understanding, misinformation, or because they think they're doing the right thing. Yep. So again, when they come in in these situations, it's really important to go, hey, that's okay, right? We get it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that just don't know that your dog should be on heart and preventive year round. 
Uh, and so what we want to do today is kind of figure out where we are and let's move forward and let's prevent, you know, Buster here from ever having in this, you know, worry again, that, that type of stuff. It's just really important to be positive because what I do fear, and, I, and I'm starting to hear this because, you know, we did a, a episode recently on, you know, is COVID making pet parents more angry at the vet clinic? And we talked about it a lot in that that episode about, you know, hey, the stressors that are outside and affecting us, you know, all over with this pandemic. But at the end of the day, also, it's how we control that conversation, the nonverbal, the verbal, just like Becky said. But, at, you know, we also want to make sure that we leave those people somehow inspired, motivated, and feeling positive about that interaction and relationship. Because if they walk out of there feeling judged, if they walk out of there feeling like I'm somehow inadequate, I'm a bad pet parent, I'm telling you, they may just get turned off from vets in general. Absolutely. And I think this this actually goes for prospect clients. So people who call on the phone, I have heard CSRs get real tone of voice nasty with people who, you know, um, are maybe asking questions and they're judging um, the reasoning behind them or whatever it is. Again, and we've talked about this before, but just the presence of mind to meet people where they are in the moment and to be problem solvers. So, you know, the thing is, is that, no, we don't want to judge the client in front of us. But honestly, I think there are people who feel judged before they even get to the clinic. And again, I've talked about this where you're working in the ER, a dog gets hit by a car and he comes in soaking wet. And you say to the client, why is he soaking wet? And they say, well, I gave him a bath because I was embarrassed. He pooped himself and I didn't I didn't want to bring him in with covered in poop. And you're like, what? So we just have to try to remember truly to respect people for whatever their understanding is, because the truth is very few people are trying to do a bad job. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They are there in your office. So respect that and appreciate it. Now, as we wrap up today's conversation, I do want us to begin to explore like I, what, what do they need? Right. Because I don't think this is a time of reduced risk for dogs in particular and, and, and cats will, will argue that as well. But for dogs, I believe Becky that with all of this influx of dogs, they're probably being potentially exposed to more dogs than ever before. I think that they're taking outings with dogs more than ever before, because let's face it, when you do spring free from your quarantine house, you know, you want to take your dog and People are hanging out in the streets. They're putting tables up, you know, so they're having dinner. I mean, they're doing all we're doing amazing things to try to adapt. But you see what I'm getting at, Becky? If you dialed back a year ago, we didn't think about taking our dog out to a neighborhood restaurant where we would sit on a street that's been closed off. Right. So now that dog is interacting with people, other pets. Like you said, other wildlife reservoirs potentially. So as you on your walk to this neighborhood, perhaps they're licking a puddle of water that's left behind. I mean, Becky, help me out here. Are there do you think that we are really need to be emphasizing the preventable diseases right now, especially? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, absolutely. And I'm I'm glad we were kind of having this, I think was kind of the underlying foundation of this conversation overall, right? Is risk assessment. We are so busy in this situation of our lives, right? Of, of 2020 in general, like at this point, like I can't even keep picking on COVID because there's right. so much other stuff in this year um, that we're constantly pivoting. We're constantly moving. We're constantly adjusting. And we, we still have to think about our risk management. And so, um, and additionally, I think with the, the, limited exposure we have to our clients right now, we're not getting great histories. We're not getting great, um, 
interaction, you know, we're, we're getting the basic, most important information to get the exam, get the pet inside and get things going. So we're missing, um, yeah, that we are going to drive to Colorado this summer right. to see Nana right. because we usually fly, but this year we're not going to take the risk. So Fluffy's going. Right. Um, and that we really need to talk to that client about the things we're concerned about in that area. And I think that that's going to continue to be a problem as we are doing more ground traveling in general. Just think about how many more pets are going to be at stops, like rest areas on on the roads and things like that. Um, there's We're just in a time of different living, and we really have to take that into consideration in our histories as well as in our client education. Viewfinders, what Becky said there was just brilliant because... Honestly, I'd overlooked that aspect. We know that people are traveling by car more than ever. And we know that if you're traveling by car, you're much more likely to take your pet with you. And like Becky said, we need to know, you know, are you going to Arkansas, right? Are you going to California? I mean, right now with the the forest fires there, there's inhalant dam- or risk there. So, you know, we you're right. We're missing those opportunities to get those more detailed Thorough narrative histories and Becky, wow, you just nailed it. So viewfinders, we really need to be on our toes. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the fires too, because um, you know, whenever I'm talking about lifestyle, what we call lifestyle or non-core preventatives, I think about uh, the emergency situations, right? So when my clients say, "Well, we never board our dogs," or you know, we never, they're never without us. I think to myself. But what happens when they are? Because it sounds like that's going to be the most important situation for them to be ready to go. And so now we have this entire population who is like go bag ready to evacuate or has done so already. And now we have these dogs that are going to be in close quarters. They're going to be in shelters. They're going to be crossing state lines. Um, And without preventative, without education, these guys are, are even more at risk now. So um, I think a lot of it is is being prepared for the risks, even when we're mitigating them when we're not in them. Yeah. And, and you know, viewfinders, as I shared with you on the uh, fire hurricane story, I mean, I think a lot of us have what we are calling pandemic fatigue and we're just it's like over. It's like what else can happen? Right. And so oh, when yeah. when you start to adopt that attitude, you really start to ignore potential risk, which means you absolve yourself of some of that responsibility of avoiding that risk, which is Survival why mode. I lost just four cars. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because we're just like, no, it's not going to hit at full tide. Full, it's it's not oh scheduled God, to, but oh yeah, it did. And, you know, and, and, and of course I will tell you one of the quick thing viewfinders, my dogs. So we were, we were desperately trying to keep them out of the flood water, but you know, they did come down the stairs one time. And so all that water is contaminated. Here I am sloshing around in my galoshes. But, you know, so Harry, my older dog, you know, he, I think something irritated the heck out of one of his paws. So a couple of days after the um, the hurricane flood receded, yeah, man, he is just going at a hot spot, which is very unusual for him. Now, it could have been stress-induced. It could have been a number of other things. But having said that, again, just exposure to the floodwaters. You know, we're kind of like, dude, okay, we got no cars. We got no nothing. We got no electricity. I mean, you know, so Harry, you're going to get a hot spot. Thank you very much. Okay, what can happen next, right? Oh, the building can fall on my head. But anyway, what I'm trying to get at is with this pandemic fatigue, people are starting to ignore some of the other risk that in a prior time they might have taken more seriously. So just like Becky said, they're going to haul in all, everybody in the car. They're going to stop at a gas station for a rest stop. They're going to let their dog out and mean, you know, in the past, maybe you avoided that big, you know, stump over there where my dog really wants to go and smell because there's 1500 other dogs that have gone to that stump you know, I would definitely keep Harry and Jenny away from that stump. You know, in fact, I will give you a little bit of advice, viewfinders. When we stop and we travel with our dogs by car 
and they want to make a beeline for something in a rest area, we go the opposite direction, right? Yeah. But, but a lot of people are going to show up at these places. There's going to be puddles of water. There's going to be insects. I mean, so we really have got to do an extra, extra good job of trying to say, hey, we get it. You know, if you're going to be traveling, you know, here's some checklist things to do. And that's a great opportunity again for social media outreach. I mean, I guess we are sounding like a COVID broken record. <laughs> we Well, I mean, because there... As much as you know, I've tried everything to not talk about it. It is part of our day-to-day life. It is our daily life. And it is affecting how we interact with clients. But to to be fair, take COVID out of this and we are still facing these problems. I think that they're just under a magnifying glass because of the numbers it's happening with at this point. And I think that magnifying glass is needed. And I think this is a great opportunity once again for the veterinary profession to step up and improve our processes, if you will, and make sure that we are, as Becky said, the trusted source of information for pet parents. How can we be the truth for those people? So viewfinders, we want to hear from you. Are you seeing more of these pet parents who maybe have ignored or somehow slipped through the cracks and they're not up to date on their preventatives or on their vaccinations? Are they taking trips where you think they might be at potential risk? I mean, we really want to hear from you because this is a, I believe this is an issue that affects all of us globally. And I know we have listeners from all around the world. And so we want to know what you're experiencing in those areas. So definitely reach out to us on Facebook, on Instagram. Those are where we play the most, but I'm always dibble dabbling on Twitter. So if you hit me up on Twitter, we'll definitely respond to you there. But but again, viewfinders, I think this is one of those those periods in time that if we get it right, we're going to look back and say this accelerated growth of the profession. And if we get it wrong, we're going to sit back and go, what happened? The other thing I would love to place as an actionable item out there to our listeners is to show us or to create, you know, the relationships that you have with rescues and fosters in your area. So if you're already winning at it, let us know what you're doing to um, get great partnerships and make sure that these little these little guys or these adults and seniors are getting off to the right foot in their new homes. And if you don't, let's make a plan together. So show us what you're doing. You can, like Dr. Ernie said, find us at Veterinary Viewfinder on Instagram and Facebook. And you can please subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It does help us a lot to get in front of other veterinary professionals. You can also leave us some stars and a rating review and let us know what you want to hear. Until next time, Viewfinder family, stay safe out there and let us know if there's a topic you'd like for us to tackle. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. I love that, I love that, I love that.